Carson Wentz in, Nathaniel Hackett, Derek Carr, and J.J. Watt out. And week 17 hasn't even begun. The next to last weekend of the regular season commences in Tennessee tonight, but the rest of the slate will kick off the new year with some big matchups that'll set us up for what we hope will be a thrilling conclusion the following Sunday. The college football playoff will finally take place on Saturday as I'll preview the Fiesta and Peach Bowls. Will the clock strike 12 on TCU? Don't look now, but the hottest team in the NBA is in Brooklyn. Is this the version that we've expected and have been waiting for? On the ice, the Capitals and Hurricanes have been on the tear. And the latest regarding Carlos Correa. The final podcast of the year has come, but not without the usual fireworks and confetti to get the party started. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, counting down the days, hours, and minutes till the clock strikes midnight. As we usher in another year, but before we do that, there's plenty to go around as the sports world gets set to close out the year with a bang, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back as we close out the year in grand style, another one in the books. I'll get to that later on as far as my relationship with you guys and gals and what you mean. So we'll put that little ribbon and cherry on top at the back end of the podcast. But interesting as we get to the final NFL Sunday of 2022, of course, there's still another week to go the following weekend, which will usher in 2023, as we know. But for some strange reason, the NFL, it seemed like it was almost the offseason when it comes to news, notes, and things of that nature Because what had taken place between the last podcast on Monday and now, you would think that this was maybe Black Monday or early February or right before free agency begins with a lot of people cut or a lot of people leaving, retiring, etc. And let's get right to it. Surprising development in Washington. I'm going to start there only because the commanders are still in the hunt. We know that they've fallen flat on their face here over the last few weeks, losing to the Giants, obviously out in San Francisco. They had the tie with the Giants the previous week. And for the Commanders, knowing that they still control their own destiny, and even with the Packers now breathing down their necks, the coach, Ron Rivera, decided that even with Taylor Heineke, who had been 5-3-1 over the last nine games, and the Carson Wentz experiment had pretty much gone belly up, so now he decides to go back to Wentz here in the most critical portion of their season, The final two games, both at home against Cleveland and Dallas. And all I could say to that is that if you're a Commander fan, I'm sure you have to be, I won't go as far as saying sick to your stomach, but you do have to wonder if Rivera's just looking to punt the rest of this regular season away because what you've seen from Carson Wentz to this point has absolutely been nothing. Zilch, nada, zero. 
And for him to try to turn back the clock a la 2017 when he was on his way to winning an MVP and that was the year that the Eagles won a Super Bowl, boy, I think you have a better chance of playing the Powerball or the Mega Millions tomorrow night and hitting a $640 million jackpot because for Carson Wentz to now come in the final two games of the season to not only save the season but hope to push your team into the playoffs... Boy, that is a tall order, if you ask me, for a guy who is a number two overall pick back in 2015, who's had had success all out that 2017 season, but since then has fallen on hard times, the back end of his career in Philadelphia, we saw what happened in Indianapolis last year, and here in Washington, you would think that his NFL career could be on his last legs, and if he's going to show and prove anything, that he still belongs in the NFL to even be a backup somewhere, he's going to have to play like he did back four or five years ago. And I don't think he has it in him. You would think that based on everything that he's had to endure here over the last couple of years, knowing that this is probably going to be his last stand to not only continue his NFL career, but to deliver his team two wins and deliver his team into the playoffs. He doesn't want to mess around with having to lose to Cleveland and then maybe have an outside shot to make it to the postseason in the final game of the year. The Packers have two home games in their own right. Minnesota comes into their building and then they have Detroit the following week. And who knows, by then Detroit could be out based on what happened last week in Carolina. So it's all right in front of the Commanders and Carson Wentz. But is he going to deliver? I don't think so. But as we talk about his career and everything that I mentioned here in the last couple of minutes, this is do or die for one Carson Wentz. Let's see if he's going to bring his team to the promised land, meaning one of the top seven seeds in the NFC that are going to represent in the postseason, or is it just going to go up in smoke with the rest of the commander team knowing that they had an opportunity to go to the postseason as early as today? All right in front of them, like I mentioned, but now we're going to have to wait and see how this experiment round two for the commanders is going to work, and hopefully it's a lot better than it was the first go-around. Nathaniel Hackett, Let's cut right to it. You saw what happened there Sunday in LA against the Rams. 51-14, inexcusable. I know Russell Wilson played terrible. What was it? Two of the first three passes he threw were interceptions. And that was just the beginning of the end for the Broncos in that game and also for the coach because when we look back at his coaching career in Denver, it was bookended by that horrific Monday night decision, fourth and five. Where was it? At the... Seahawk, I guess it was 41-yard line. Not even that. I think it was maybe even 46-yard line because instead of going for it with Wilson there, and I believe in his career, Russell Wilson was 70% converting fourth and five and shorter. And for him to attempt a 64-yard field goal, which I believe at the time it fell short. I think it hit the crossbar off the top of my head. But nevertheless, he missed. And that was the beginning of the end, knowing that They should have went for it. He still had two timeouts, and I believe it was 20 seconds left on the clock. So right then and there, we kind of knew him setting the table for what lied ahead in this regular season. And as we've seen, he has just been deplorable. And the capper was what took place there on Christmas Day at SoFi Stadium to where he got his pink slip. He was out. He was done. They do have an interim guy. Who knows who's the next person in line? Of course, we're going to have to wait till the offseason to see how that shakes down. But Russell Wilson even said it. He said he wished he could have played better, which, huh, wishful thinking now to come out 15 games or 16, 17 weeks into the NFL season to say that. I'm sure he probably felt like that in the middle of the year or even before that because the Broncos have been probably the biggest disappointment in football with all the expectations and bringing Wilson in from Seattle and giving him the big money and the new ownership that came in and it looked like the Broncos were going to have a competitive and maybe even a playoff bound year in a very uber competitive AFC West but as it is they're going to have a top draft pick oh no I take that back they're not even going to have their own draft pick because remember they traded it to Seattle in this Russell Wilson deal so you could also even look at the GM how he should be out on a rail considering this deal and everything that had transpired from the time of the trade to now where they're not even going to get their pick. And I believe as of right this second, that pick is somewhere between three and five. So you can forget about that, Bronco fans, and hack it. I'm sure he's going to get another job somewhere down the line as a coordinator. I don't think anybody 
is going to touch him with a 10-foot pole. Maybe the XFL or the USFL will give him a shot. But the NFL, no way. His coaching career, somebody would have to be beyond desperate in order to hire Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach. And that's all there is to it. Then you also had, speaking of the AFC West, Derek Carr, where news came down yesterday with the Raiders and how their season has gone out to sea and all just a bit of disappointment with a lot of expectations there. Devontae Adams reconnecting with his college roommate in Derek Carr. And for Josh McDaniels to make the decision that he's going to go with Jared Stidham the final two games of the regular season and that Derek Carr is going to be benched. Actually, he's going to be inactive. And even Derek Carr decided that it was best for him to remove himself from the situation, that he didn't want to be a distraction to the team, and that he's pretty much taking the rest of this year off not being around the team. I understand that's a pretty harsh decision. I get it that he understood and read the tea leaves knowing that the team is not going to make it to the postseason. And even with two games left, and with Derek Carr, in all likelihood, seeing his last game in a Raider uniform based on incentives that will take place before the calendar year of next year when it comes to free agency and knowing that he would make a certain amount in guaranteed money come whatever it is, March 6th, somewhere in the early part of that month to where if they did pass that threshold, they would have to keep him on the team and let's face it, he's had some good years. Here's a guy that actually had an MVP year back in 2015 before he broke his leg, if you remember, and then... The Raiders season went up in smoke at that point. And for Carr, who has had just a down year, punctuated by the game in Pittsburgh where he threw three interceptions, was only able to score 10 points, and seven of them was on the opening drive of the game. And what could you say? I'm sure there are a few Raider fans that I've seen just based on my YouTube channel that have written where it's like, hey, Josh should be benched and good riddance. Carr didn't do anything for us. And I understand it's a reaction that a lot of Raider fans are going to feel on this day and on the flip side I'm sure there's going to be some that are going to feel a little bit somber knowing that Derek has been their guy for almost the past decade and they've fallen way short not only of just making it to the postseason but even being competitive late in the year despite the fact that they did win three games in a row including that hail scary or fail Mary that was the reverse or the lateral that was thrown by Jacoby Myers And it breathed a little life into the Raiders at that time. But Carr, I understand it almost looks like he's quitting. But you can't say that because McDaniels and company already decided that he was going to be benched and inactive. So Carr just thought it was best to say sayonara. And what more can you say? I can't blame him. I can't kill him for that. I'm sure it was mutual. And Carr now goes off into the sunset knowing where his next destination is going to be. Right now is a giant question mark. And then finally, when it comes to more of these news and notes, and it seems like with everything that happened over the past few days, again, it almost seemed like this was the offseason, let alone toward the end of the regular season. But J.J. Watt announcing his retirement at the end of the year. He's going to play out these final two games. And then he's going to hang up his cleats and his helmet. We know that his resume is going to lead him to the Hall of Fame without question. Three-time Defensive Player of the Year a game-wrecking force, but we never saw that really in a big game because we could look at the back of his playoff resume and he didn't have those big games, whether it was against New England in big spots in divisional playoff rounds or even opening rounds against KC. He doesn't have that signature moment in the playoffs. And granted, not that he has a ginormous sample, but he does have about four or five games that he's played in that he was nowhere to be found. That's all there is to it there wasn't a moment where he stepped up and brought his team to victory. In fact, I hate to say this, but his probably lone playoff memorable moment was not so memorable, was when he lined up in the Wildcat formation down at the goal line against the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe it was, in 2015, and he tried to run it in and he got stopped. And this was after he came back from an injury that he had, I believe it was his shoulder. And I'm thinking, what the hell is he doing trying to punching into the end zone in the Wildcat at the three-yard line when he's been ailing throughout most of the year with this injury. I know I'm throwing cold water on him, and I shouldn't because Watt has been a stand-up guy. We know about what he did back in 2017 during Hurricane Harvey, being able to generate all that money that he got for the city of Houston 
very charitable, just exhaustive efforts on his part to get his city back after the devastation of that hurricane. And listen, there were a lot of great things that he's done. He's been a class act on the field. We know that he's played hurt. He's been a model citizen, a Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, etc. But I know when we talk about from a historic standpoint, a lot of people are going to look at him as being one of the top defensive linemen in the sport. Does he rank up there? Maybe in the top 15 or maybe at the bottom of the top 10, but by no means he's a top 10 slam dunk automatic when it comes to defensive players, especially when it comes to the front seven. But Watt is going to have his day. He's no doubt a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not going to dispute that. But when we talk about the pantheon of the all-time greats and the handful that belong on that list, to me, he's not on there. And again, I'm a hard marker when it comes to this. So nothing personal. We know he's a great player. We know he's an all-time great player when you're going to think about defensive linemen. But does he belong on the Reggie White, Deacon Jones, that caliber? Mean Joe Green, Randy White, does he belong on that level when it comes to defensive linemen? He is not. So that's what we have there. And with the Week 17 kicking off tonight in Tennessee between the Cowboys and Titans, not really a big game. I understand they're going to spin it that way if you're Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet because the Cowboys have nothing to play for, but they're going to think there's an outside shot for them to win the NFC East, considering that Jalen Hurts, we don't know if he's going to be in the lineup this Sunday against the Saints, but you would think even without Hurts in the lineup, they should beat the Saints and put them out of their misery for whatever playoff hopes that they have left in the NFC South. And then, excuse me, you have the flip side of that with Tennessee. Even if they lose tonight, they will still have an outside shot to win the division the following week against Jacksonville. And no matter how you cut it, they're going to pump it up as a big game, as a game that a lot of people are going to watch. But people are going to watch anyway because the Cowboys are playing. So as far as any playoff imminent implications when it comes to do or die, desperation, must wins, this game isn't it. And as we look at the schedule, you do have a few intriguing matchups. Not a lot of sexiness when it comes to big-time opponents, but you do have some implications. And no game Saturday. It is New Year's Eve, so if you're thinking there's going to be a Saturday schedule, obviously not because you have the college football playoff. But everything is Sunday, and then you have an epic Monday night game, which could be for a one seed, depending on what Kansas City does here over the last two weeks. But the big matchups that you have here that we're going to have to look at, you're going to have to look at Miami-New England. This is a last-ditch effort for the... Patriots to try to keep themselves alive and I understand that nobody's going to look at the Patriots as a threat in the AFC 100% understood this is more about Miami taking the trip up to Foxborough in another cold weather game they've lost four in a row they had that terrible loss on Sunday against the Packers and now they have to muster up whatever they can with Teddy Bridgewater under center because Tua Tagovailoa was back in the concussion protocol so the Dolphins season is going to ride on the backup on whether or not they're going to stay alive to play in Week 18, in all likelihood, and it could be against the Jets for the final playoff spot in the AFC. So that is a game that people are going to have to look at to see whether or not the Dolphins stay alive or if the Patriots have an outside shot of making it into the playoffs. Of course, the bigger game when it comes to a division is Carolina at Tampa Bay. Again, not sexy considering what Tampa Bay has done this year. And obviously Carolina has hung around and kept themselves relevant in this playoff race or really in this division race because if they lose this game, you can forget about it. But if they do win, they'll be tied for first place with the Buccaneers at 7-9 but will have the tiebreaker advantage with the sweep over Tampa Bay because remember they beat them 21-3 earlier in the year. So if Carolina wins this game, they will control their own destiny to make it as the NFC South winner and will host the playoff game, if you could believe that. In all likelihood, it will be against the Dallas Cowboys. But if Tampa wins, they'll win the division. Forget about New Orleans. Forget about Atlanta. That'll be it. So that's going to be a key game there in the NFC South. You also have Minnesota and Green Bay for this reason. Green Bay, as I mentioned earlier, still in the race there behind the Lions, behind the Commanders. And they are hosting the game where the Vikings are going to need the game to keep themselves 
in line with the two seed in the NFC. They do not want to fall behind by any stretch. So for the Vikings, who have been in a lot of these one-score games, and I would think this will be another close match, I believe they've been in what? 11 of the games that they've won have been by one score, which is an NFL record. So we would think that this game is going to be to the wire, into the fourth quarter, close to being tied, at least by one score. So we're going to get to see whether or not Green Bay stays alive or Minnesota may drop down from two to three in the NFC, depending on what San Francisco does at Vegas, which with Jared Stidham, you would think Vegas is going to run all over them. But I will say this. Would you be surprised that if Vegas does win this game, knowing with everything that's happened this past week, Jared Stidham, we don't expect a lot from him, but this will be a game where, for whatever the reason, the Raiders will get some turnovers, they'll convert in the red zone and maybe kick a last-second field goal to upend the Niners, because as we all know, the Niners have been probably the hottest team in the league here over the past couple of months. And I would think that if this is going to be an upset special, this would be one of it. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I would think San Francisco is going to storm right through them, and... They're going to play at the same time as the Vikings and Packers, so they're not going to know what the final outcome is going to be, obviously, until they go off into the locker room themselves. But the Vikings and Packers are, of course, a game that we're going to have to look out for. And then besides that, I know there's some fringe games you're going to pay attention to. Cleveland and Washington, only for everything that I mentioned before about Wentz being there now, starting on the center, and then with the Packers... That's going to be fascinating because that game will be over by the time the Packers will kick off. So they could actually get that much more closer. And off the top of my head, they would have the final spot in the NFC because they would have more wins than the Commanders. So that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Besides that, no one cares about Arizona, Atlanta, Chicago at Detroit. All right, we could talk about the Lions. They're still on the outside looking in, but even with the win... Let them get back to 500 and then let's see where they go from there. The battle of LA between the Rams and Chargers, that's going to be interesting because how many fans are going to be in the building? It's a home game for the Chargers. The Rams are already on vacation where the Chargers just want to continue the good juju out in LA. They clinched a spot on Monday when they defeated the Colts. So it doesn't matter where they land. Right now they look like they're going to be probably in the sixth seed as of right this moment behind the Ravens and ahead of the Dolphins. And remember, they do have a tiebreaker against Miami. So they just want to continue to keep the ball rolling, get that momentum into the postseason and see where it goes from there. And you have Pittsburgh and Baltimore is your Sunday night game flexed. Pittsburgh has a very slim to none chance of making it to the postseason. So I'm just bringing that up only because NBC is going to push that narrative. And let's see what's going to happen with the Ravens as they try to keep pace with the Cincinnati Bengals and then Monday night you have an epic class between the Bills going to Cincinnati to play the Bengals and if Cincinnati wins the game they will draw even and have a tiebreaker with Buffalo for the two seed in the AFC and if Kansas City were to stub their toe here along the way now they have Denver coming into their building which should be a win and then the following week they go to Vegas so it's all right in front of Kansas City if Cincinnati were to beat Buffalo, because if Kansas City wins their two games, they will have the one seed in the AFC with a 14-3 and record, and then if it goes chalk from that point out where if Cincinnati does win their final two games, and Buffalo does win at home against New England, then you'll have Cincinnati as the two seed, Buffalo as the three seed, so they'll only have the one home game before having to go on the road the rest of the way, unless you get some upsets, and then you'll have Cincinnati host two home games if that's the case by them beating Buffalo. So a lot could happen here over the course between now and Monday night as we set the stage for a week 18, which obviously is not for another 10 days or so. And that's what you have here as the NFL starts to wind down, as we start to get a clearer playoff picture in both conferences. And the only thing I could say at this very moment, I would think Philly's going to be fine. No matter what, I know they're a game ahead of Minnesota, but remember, they have the tiebreaker against the Vikings. And forget about the Cowboys, because Philly is not going to lose two games at home to the Saints or Giants next week, and then spit the division, and also, on top of that, gag away the number one seed 
in the playoffs. They worked too hard to get to this point. And yes, they stubbed their toe last week in Dallas, but I would think they'll win this week. And in the AFC, it's all there for Kansas City. It really is for them with the hope of Cincinnati beating the Bills on Monday night. But even if that's not the case, Kansas City, we have not seen them on the road throughout the whole Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era. Think about that. So that's something that's going to play in the back of your mind come Monday night, especially if Kansas City wins. Because if Buffalo wins, then they're going to be in good stead to have the home field throughout. And then we may have that epic matchup this time on the road in Orchard Park between the Chiefs and the Bills. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. These are just some of the things that we could actually speculate and look into the crystal ball to kind of get a feel and an idea and a sense of. And in the NFC, like I mentioned, with Minnesota, they want to stay at the two seed because the last thing they want to do is drop the three and then have to go to San Francisco if they do win in the wild card round. And as we all know, Brock Purdy is going to be the story. He hasn't lost since he's been the starter in San Francisco. And the Niners, who, as I mentioned, hot as a pistol, Let's see what's going to happen here over these final two weeks as we get into the postseason. I understand the bottom rung. We could look at both conferences, whether it is Baltimore, Miami, and the Chargers in the AFC, and in the NFC, Dallas, New York, the Giants, and then throw in whomever, whether it be Washington, whether it would be Green Bay, or even Detroit for that matter. You never know. So... That's what we're looking at here as we get to the final couple of weekends. Obviously, we'll break this all down on Monday and see where we stand as far as the playoff pictures in both conferences as we get closer to the end of this NFL season. And just to quickly throw this in before I move on to college football, my over-unders for the year are actually done. And the only reason why I bring that up now, why wait till the end of the season, why wait till even Monday's podcast, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Over-unders for those listening for the first time or do not have an idea what I'm talking about. I picked six teams, three overs, three unders based on the Vegas odds for win totals for certain teams in the NFL. And my three overs were Green Bay 10.5, KC 10.5, and Indianapolis 9.5. My three unders were Cleveland under 8.5, Philly (laughs) under 9.5, and then Houston 4.5. Of course, I'm sure people either laughing your asses off based on the Green Bay and even especially the Philly pick because the Philly pick was over by week 11 as they were 9-1 and one, or really uh, week 12 when they were 10-1 and one because the number was 9.5. I thought, for me, it was going to be competitive in the NFC. I didn't have a lot of trust and faith in Jalen Hurts, but obviously he proved me wrong and shut me up to where he could possibly be the MVP of the league this year. But for Green Bay 10.5, that was a loss. KC a win, Indy would have just a terrible year. I thought they were going to be better with Matt Ryan, Jonathan Taylor, their defense, but with Shaq Leonard out the whole year, nursing that neck injury, and Matt Ryan, just a shell of his old self. We know how the Colts win, then they even fired Frank Reich during the middle of the year. Cleveland, that was no surprise there with Deshaun Watson coming in in week 11. Did I really think Jacoby Brissett was going to lead him to six or seven wins before Watson came into the picture? Absolutely not. And then, yes, I did pick on the Texans. I thought they were going to be a bad team, so that wasn't even a big pick or surprise pick there. Those are my over-unders. Three and three, 500. Very average, to say the least, as I pivot to college football. And now we could finally sink our teeth into the semifinal games, 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock Saturday. The first game being the Fiesta Bowl between TCU and Michigan. Michigan is a 7.5-point favorite. And the 8 p.m. game down in Georgia where Ohio State will go up against the defending national champion Bulldogs. And I'll go in order here with the first game. I know a lot has been said about Michigan and everything leading up to this moment. Remember, they were here last year in the semifinal where they got pasted by the defending champ in Georgia. And this year, they've changed their tune big time. The regret of last year's Loss is fueling this year's fire to not only get past the semifinal round, but to get to the championship game and to win it all. Because that's what it's about. They want to get another crack at Georgia. Not that they've been calling them out, but just based on me, yours truly, I would think that knowing that TCU is in their way and they're still the Cinderella no matter how you cut it, and I'll talk about them in a minute. But this is Michigan's time here. 
Yes, they went through beating Ohio State finally in the Jim Harbaugh era last year. And even with them going up against Georgia, knowing that it was going to be a tough task, but that was a big lesson knowing that the Bulldogs were primed and ready to go considering everything that had happened, especially losing in the SEC championship game to Alabama just weeks prior. And it was their time to not only get to a national title game, but also to win it. But Michigan has been waiting for this. They've been anticipating this moment. Even with everybody trying to circle the wagons around TCU to justify their reason for being here, even with the loss to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to think that TCU does not have a shot, that Michigan is just going to steamroll them. And it's quite possible that could be the case. But I would think that with what they've learned from last year and now that they're here in this moment and knowing that they need to take that next step in order to not only quantify the season, but to be in a discussion, to be that team that's going to go up against the team that beat them last year and knowing that this could be some payback. Somewhat similar, but a lot different because it's two years. It didn't happen in the same year where Georgia lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then fast forward six weeks later to playing in a national title game and dethroning them on the way to being the champs. And now, although it's a year later and a totally separate season, but I would think Michigan, the fuel, the fire, everything that's leading up to this moment, they know they can't overlook TCU, but they know what's waiting for them at the other end. And for their shot to be undefeated, for their shot to be national champions, I'm sure they wouldn't want to have it any other way. But that's for then. And for right now, I think for TCU, this is going to be tough sledding. As good as they've played this year, as tough as they played, especially in that championship game led by their quarterback, Max Duggan, It's similar to what we're going to see last year when Cincinnati went up against Alabama. They're going to realize that the bright lights and the stage and the football world, not just college football because there's going to be some pro football fans that are into college football that are going to watch this and they're going to want to see how TCU is going to perform on this level. Because that's not to knock the Oklahoma States of the world, the Baylors, the Kansas States. By no means, uh uh-uh. But now, they're moving up in rank. They're playing a team that is battle-tested, that has been in big games, that has won big games. And I understand TCU a couple of years ago had a big season, and a lot of people thought that they could have been in the discussion for the college football Final Four. They didn't make it, but they're here now. And listen, I'm going to root like hell, nothing against Michigan, I'm going to root like hell for TCU. Because I want to see that Cinderella take the next step. I want to see that Cinderella go up against the likes of a Georgia. And as it is, they're already going up against the likes of the Wolverines and knowing that it is going to be difficult and it's not going to be easy by any stretch. And everything that I mentioned about Michigan, this is their moment. This is what they've been waiting for. They've been sitting on this for almost 365 days. And now the time has come. Is TCU going to be staring at Michigan Eye for eye, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, not just for a quarter, not just for a half, but for an entire game. And that's going to be the big question. You know that the Michigan D-line is going to put pressure on the quarterback. You know they're going to try to run the ball and jam it down TCU's defense's throat, as we saw there at the end, especially against Ohio State, with all those long touchdown runs, Donovan Edwards, etc. And that, to me, is the big question of this game, is... It going to be over by half or is it going to be close late in the third quarter? And what I mean by close, two scores. And I'm not saying two scores by 15. I'm talking about 10 points. Because if it's 15, can you really expect TCU to score two touchdowns provided that Michigan doesn't turn the ball over or make any mental errors, personal fouls, things of that nature? Of course, you can't predict those or forecast them, but that's what this game's going to boil down to. Because if it's 24-14, third quarter, four minutes to go, you may think that TCU has a shot, and let's say TCU has the ball at that time. They're in the game. 
I don't want to hear if it's 28-13 late in the fourth quarter and Michigan has the ball. Uh-uh, that's not going to cut it. If TCU has the ball, they can't kick field goals at that point. They got to score touchdowns. That's why if it's 24-14 and if they kick a field goal, then it's one score and then it's up for their defense to stop Michigan there late third into the fourth quarter. That's what I'm talking about. As far as what I think the outcome will be, it's going to be Michigan. For everything that I said leading up to this point, I'd be shocked if they lose this game. Would I be shocked if it is close late in the third quarter? I wouldn't. I'd be concerned because then Michigan may play tight where Duggan and company, they're going to be loosey-goosey and playing with house money. But I think even before that, Michigan, they're going to try to put the hammer down early and show TCU that you're playing with the big boys now. And TCU may have their moments, but I think when it's all said and done, Michigan's going to win 34-19. And as far as the second game, now this is going to be a home game for the Bulldogs as it's played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta. But Ohio State does travel. So based on some of the things that I've read here, that the crowd isn't going to be pro-Bulldog. It could be split down the middle. And Ohio State, they get a second life, as we know, based on what happened to USC against Utah. And Ohio State, what it's going to boil down to is this. Can they score with Georgia? I think they can. But C.J. Stroud is going to have to play a Heisman-esque game. And it won't even guarantee that they'll win if he has that type of game. And what I mean by that, he's going to have to be 28 for 33, 350 yards, four touchdowns, maybe even running a touchdown. They're going to have to win a high-scoring affair. And chances are, the first to 31 is probably going to be the winner. So other than that, I think they'll score, but Stroud cannot implode or not make the terrible error that he did throwing that interception. And I understand he was trying to make a play there. What was it, at 38-23? Oh no, I think it was at 31-23 when Ohio State was in Michigan territory back, what was it, four or five weeks ago? He cannot do that against his Georgia defense. And Georgia, as we all know, they had the one bad game this year in which they did win against Missouri, but other than that, they've been flawless. And you know that they're going to be chomping at the bit to try to get back-to-back. And not to say that this is going to be a tougher game for Ohio State than it would be for TCU against Michigan, but for all intents and purposes, Georgia's a machine at this moment. And I think that Ohio State can hang. They're going to need some turnovers. They're going to have to be opportunistic in order for them to stay in this game. So their defense is going to have to play big. And we saw, just as I mentioned a minute ago, about how Michigan ran roughshod against them, especially in the second half of that game. Can Georgia do the same thing against the Buckeye defense? It's quite possible. I see this being Georgia 38, Ohio State 24. I think they'll score points. I just think they won't score enough. I don't think they'll match Georgia. And as I mentioned, Stroud could play at an all-time high level and be near perfect, but that still may not be enough to win. Think about that. Because the Buckeyes are going to have to slow down that Georgia offense and I think Georgia and Michigan is going to be a national championship which is not going out on a limb but that's what we have there for college football and you know we will discuss this on Monday that will be right after the NFL as we'll recap this and get set for a championship game which will be the following Monday on January the 9th all right now let's turn our attention to the NBA as I put on the high tops and I know this may have taken three, three and a half, maybe close to four years when you think back on that July 1st day. What was that, 2018? No, 2019. When Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided to sign with the Brooklyn Nets and everybody thought here in the tri-state area that those two guys would be playing at Madison Square Garden and not the Barclays Center. And now here we are with everything that has transpired. And not to break down everything, but you know where I'm going when it comes to either Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you want to sprinkle in a little James Harden, and his sojourn into the Kingsborough or Kings County, 
And then now you have Ben Simmons. We know all the drama, all of the hysteria, all of the ins and outs, ups and downs of those aforementioned players. And yes, it may have taken a lot longer than the 40 Brooklyn Nets fans out there or the NBA fan that thinks that the Brooklyn Nets were going to be NBA champions. Well, don't look now because the hottest team in the sport resides across the river in Brooklyn. Which makes you wonder and think, now that there has been stability and health has been relatively fine, I know Ben Simmons was out a little bit toward the back end of the Kyrie suspension, but Ben Simmons has been playing. Kevin Durant is playing at an MVP level, even at the age of, what, 34? Kyrie is Kyrie. Last night, scoring 15 of his 28 points in the fourth quarter as they beat the Atlanta Hawks to make it double digits, 10 in a row as they inch closer to the top of the Atlantic division and are right behind the Milwaukee Bucks as far as the top three seeds in the conference. And you have to wonder whether or not this is the team that a lot of people thought going back 2019. And mind you, Kevin Durant wasn't going to play in that first year because he he was recovering from the torn Achilles that he suffered in Game 5 of the NBA Finals against Toronto. So you have to not include him there, but because they both signed on the dotted line back in the summer of 2019, and for all the expectations, for, for all the thoughts that were surrounding this team as far as being the caliber of championship level. And we know how much it's fizzled out here since this Kyrie KD regime begun. And now it looks like they may be in sync to the point to they could threaten to be at the top of the Eastern Conference and have home court not only throughout the conference, but maybe even throughout the whole postseason. It's way too early to tell that, but if everything stays the way it has been, especially not only just over these past 10 games, but ever since Kyrie had come back from the suspension and everything seems to be all quiet across the Brooklyn Bridge, it's almost as if they've now taken an exhale. All the drama, the baggage, the garbage has now been thrown in the incinerator, thrown in the dumpster, and has been pushed aside to where now they're just getting back to basketball. And give it up for Jacques Vaughn, the coach. He's preached that and has been transparent and saying that all they've done is just stuck to basketball. Show up on time, punch the clock, put in your work, maybe a little bit extra, get ready for game day, game night, and away we go. And what they've done here so far is shown that when everything's clicking, when all systems are a go, the Brooklyn Net team could be one to reckon with here in the Eastern Conference. Now we all know and understand that that could change the drop of a hat. We understand that. But of course we can't go there because as of right now, all is sunshine, rainbows, coconuts, and palm trees, even if it is late December, here in the New York area. So we got to take heed and pay attention to what's going on there. Not to say they're going to win 12, 14, 18 in a row, but if they continue to play as consistent as they have been, this could be the team that everybody has been waiting for going back to that 2019 season. You had a couple of games this week where you had some leads that were blown that we haven't seen in quite some time. The first one being Monday night where the Clippers had to overcome a 14-point lead with three minutes to go. And they won in overtime at Detroit where at that point only two teams in the past 26 years won with that such deficit. So think about that. A 14-point lead, three minutes to go. You figure, oh, the game is in the bag, Detroit. And this is the Pistons we're talking about. Not to be confused with the bad boy Pistons or even the 4 Pistons with Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, etc. And they came from behind, pushed it into overtime and won. And the only two such games were 1997 when Atlanta did it to Orlando and actually not too long ago when Sacramento did it to Minnesota back in January 2020 right before the pandemic hit. So now you have the Clippers that belong in that discussion and then... Fast forward just a night later 
where the Dallas Mavericks had trailed the New York Knicks by nine points with 33 seconds to go. And this hasn't happened, I believe, over the past 15 years. I believe the last team that won, going back to the 2006-07 season, so it's 16 years, no team has come back from a nine-point deficit with less than a minute to go, or I think less than 40 seconds to go was what it was. And you had to have a miraculous and almost unfathomable play happen to where Luka Doncic was at the line. They were down by three. Made the first. Missed the second one on purpose because for whatever reason, he thought the game was tied. And what did he do? He ended up getting the rebound off of a couple of hands and arms and he was able to put it in the basket. A little bit of a desperation heave from about 14, 15 feet out, was able to tie the game that went into overtime and Dallas ended up beating the Knicks, 126-121. In probably one of the more improbable games that you could ever imagine, to have a nine-point lead with that much time left and lose it, and of course it harkens back, not to bring up bad memories, Nick fans, to when the Pacers, game one of the 95 Eastern Conference semifinals, where... Reggie Miller, what were they down? Eight with about 20 seconds to go, 21 seconds left, where they had a two-point basket. Then they got a steal. Reggie hits a three. They got another steal, and Reggie hits a three to tie the game. And then the Pacers went on to win that game one, if you recall. This was a similar scenario, obviously without the three-pointers, but to have that type of deficit for them to come back, which was punctuated by the game Luka Doncic had, which was... A triple-double unlike anything we've ever seen. Now, I know he matched James Harden, who had a 60-point triple-double a few years back, but no one in the history of the NBA has had a 60-point, 20-rebound triple-double the way Luka Doncic had against the Knicks there on Tuesday night. Only Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor had 50-point, 20-rebound, and at least 10 assist games in the history of the NBA. Now, I understand it came in an overtime, so he had an extra frame. I believe he was at 55, 19, and 10 at the time. I believe he did hit the triple-double even in regulation, but he got the rebounds and, of course, the extra points in the overtime. But still a remarkable achievement. And for Luka, we know he's a one-man gang. I understand he does have some players on the team that are going to contribute, but it's not as if he has a great sidekick or has a couple of other guys where you know night in, night out he could consistently rely on. We know Jalen Brunson was that guy, but he's now playing, ironically, for the Knicks. So, Luka, give it up. Fantastic performance, but I don't know. Was that more of Luka being heroic, or was that a Nick collapse? I don't know. You tell me. And then you have Devin Booker, who's going to be out four weeks at least with a groin strain that he suffered a few nights ago. And I know that's going to be a tough blow for them. The Suns trying to find their way out west as we know. And the NBA, pretty much the same as we saw how it was fit there on Monday. But Booker being on the lineup, that's going to be crucial for a Suns team that is trying to get close to the upper echelon of the conference with Denver, New Orleans, and Memphis. Who would have thought that when you think about the top teams in the west that those three would be right there. But Phoenix, we'll see how they play it out here without... Their all-star guard as we uh, take a look here with the NBA closing out the 2022 stretch. Pretty much everything is the same when it comes to the standings. I'm not going to get into anything in particular. I know the Warriors have played a little bit better. They're back at 500 and have the 10th seed out west. But other than that, everything has pretty much been the same when we break down the NBA. As for the NHL, as I put up my skates... Couple of developments. We talked about the Hurricanes and their hot stretch. Now they've won nine in a row there in the Metropolitan Division. And then the Devils lose again last night to the Bruins. The Bruins are on a pace to win 60 games and have 130 points in the NHL this year. That's how torrid they've been. And I know I've talked about that ad infinitum. But the Devils got a late goal and a tie-breaking goal by Patrice Bergeron with four minutes to go yesterday in Jersey. Have now pushed the Devils. What have they lost? Eight of 11. And now the Devils have lost... 9 of 12. The Hurricanes, as I mentioned, they're streaking 9 in a row. 
But another team that's actually doing very well are the Capitals. They have won six straight road games, including a 4-0 shutout to the Rangers there at the Garden the other night. They've also won five in a row, so you got to give it up for what the Capitals have done here in this recent stretch. Of course, with Ovechkin surpassing Gordie Howe, we discussed. But now the Capitals, not only have they been hot, winners of five in a row, but they've also won 10 out of their last 11. So you got to wonder whether or not the Capitals are now looking to see if they could make a little bit of a push here in the Metropolitan Division. Obviously, they had to dig themselves out of a little bit of a hole early on, but now they're playing very well. And to go along with that Hurricane team, winners of nine in a row, and actually they had lost five straight and eight of 10 before this recent winning streak. And actually they've won 13 of the last 14 games. So the Canes have had a weird stretch here over the last couple of months to where it looked like they weren't playing well and it looks like they were going to be one of those teams that were going to underachieve, a team that looked like they were going to be a threat in the Eastern Conference. And... They turned that around, not only with this recent stretch, but also 13-14, and let's see where the Canes go from here. But with both of those teams playing well in the Metropolitan, and the NHL coming out of that break, where they had four days off over Christmas, other than that, not a lot much to go on from that point, as far as going through certain teams. I talked about this on Monday, you do have the Winter Classic this coming Monday at Fenway Park. Maybe I'll discuss that a little bit. Of course, I'll record that prior to the game, but we all know that's a big spectacle. We all know that that almost kicks off the new year when it comes to a major pro sporting event. No, it's not the NFL, even though the NFL will have January 1st all to themselves. But that is the one sport that a lot of people like to take a look at because it's outdoors. It's in a cold weather site. You may have some snow flurries. I don't know if it's going to snow that day because the Northeast is going to be in the 50s come this weekend, so who knows, it may be a balmy 45 degree day in Beantown, but that's something to keep on your radar when you're trying to bounce around to see what's on during the afternoon, I'm sure there's a couple of bowl games that you're going to have, the Rose Bowl in particular, but you'll have the hockey game 2 o'clock there to start off your post New Year's Day calendar. And now as I turn my attention to baseball, and a couple of things to discuss here, Carlos Correa, the latest with that, it's been mum, it's been quiet. You would think that some news will probably come down sometime after the new year. Why it's taking this long is beyond me. We know that there's been a pause when it comes to this contract negotiation to where the Mets are thinking about maybe not reneging on the deal overall, but maybe even cutting the contract as far as years and money goes. Correa and his camp says, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want to cut our deal by any stretch. And why would he? Of course, he wants to stick to that 12-year, $315 million deal. Not to rehash what I said on Monday, but if I'm Steve Cohen, I would walk. I would just go away, not even roll the dice and take a shot. If it's five years, all right, you want to do that, that's fine. Who knows if there's going to be some opt-outs involved. Maybe he does get the big money, but an opt-out after three years, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not privy to all that. But we've seen so far this offseason, Steve Cohen has nothing to prove to the fan as far as him wanting to buy, <clears throat> build a championship contending team. But for Cohen wanting to have that final Christmas gift, that last stocking stuffer for the fan base, for the team to know that he could be the last cog that could push this team over the top, I would say wait to the trade deadline to see what they could do there. I don't want to have a guy that here it is a week later and we're still wondering whether or not he's going to sign with the Mets. Now, I did say in all likelihood that was going to be the case, but we still have this hanging over our heads a week later and I'm sure it's going to be another few days and probably maybe even another week before we get some sort of conclusion on whether or not Correa is going to be officially a New York Met. Then you had a couple of other free agents come off the board. Nathan Eovaldi signs with Texas, so he goes along with Jacob DeGrom as they try to fortify their pitching rotation, two years, $34 million. I think that's a good pickup for them. Eovaldi is an up-and-down pitcher. He has his moments where he's good, but when he's bad, he's not going to say awful, but he's average. But that's a good pickup for Texas. They need all the reinforcements that they can get. And speaking of pitching, Corey Kluber, he signs with the Boston Red Sox for one year, $10 million to see 
what they could get lightning out of a bottle. He's had his moments here over the last few years, whether it was in Tampa this past year, the year before in a Yankee uniform, although he was out for a considerable amount of time in the summer, but he did pitch a no-hitter, if you recall, in Texas. So Kluber gets a one-year deal there as the Red Sox still try to find their way through this offseason and upgrade and do whatever they can to get their roster in order. And Sean Murphy, I bring him up only because he signed a six-year, $73 million deal with the Braves. Remember, they got him in a three-way deal a couple of weeks ago with the Oakland A's. That's where he came from. And, of course, the Milwaukee Brewers. But the reason why I bring this up is because to go along with Spencer Strider, Michael Harris Jr., Matt Olson, who they got in a trade last year, but they signed him to the eight-year, $168 million deal last offseason. Austin Riley, before that, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. That is the core of their team. And that is what they're working with. I understand Atlanta is not a big market like New York, but that's how you build a core. Before, as I <clears throat> coughed when I said that the Mets are buying a championship, where if Correa is going to be your third baseman, say bye-bye to Brett Beatty, say bye-bye to Ronnie Mauricio, and some of the prospects that they have in their pipeline. But the Braves, this is how you do it. Sustainability. You can only hope, if Correa does sign, and whether he does or not, that the Mets could somehow, some way, put their fingerprints on having a blueprint for not only a year or two, but sustainable success over the course of a half a decade or even more. And sorry, my guys and gals, I understand people, oh, you're a Mets fan, Jay Reels, how can you pick up the Braves? They do it the right way. What more can I tell you? What I can tell you is this. The closing of another podcast, another year, as we're just a couple days from New Year's Eve and three days from the New Year. So whether you go back to day one, John Guerrero, Scott Seaman, James Douglas, if I left you off the list, my apologies. Or if you've been with me for quite some time, whether it be a couple of years, three years, or even four years for that matter, or even if you just recently discovered me or just hopped on board within the last, whatever it may be, weeks, months, maybe the past year, I want to thank all of you for following and supporting yours truly and the podcast alike, Independent Podcasting. This is a one-man operation. I hope to expand here in the coming year. I put up a post on my Patreon page, which I'll get to in a minute, just to give a thanks and also to try to generate some traffic toward that platform. But once again, thank you so much for just sharing the word, putting it out there to the sports fan in your life, making sure that you... Get the thoughts, opinions, and analysis from yours truly on a week-in, week-out basis, and especially twice a week as I introduced my bi-weekly format back in April. So it goes without saying, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here as we're just two months from this coming Sunday. That's right, January 1st, two months from that date, the podcast will turn five. So you know I got some big things, big plans, a lot of dreams, hopes that I'm looking to achieve in 2023. And of course, I'm unable to do that without your help. So keep following, keep supporting. Once again, truly grateful and thankful that you're with me on this journey. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Again, I sincerely appreciate it. And if you do not follow me on any of my social media accounts, you can do so. If you want to leave a comment, feel free. At the following, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels, one just a number. Or if you want to hit me up with an email, do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions that you may have. And finally, my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. My latest post that I just put up. Again, whatever you want to contribute to that platform will go 100% to this endeavor, to the upkeep of the website, to the production, the equipment, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people, this is my end game, this is what I want it to be my end game, to be able to make a living off of what it is that I love to do, and that's talking sports, breaking it down, analyzing, thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, on anything and everything. That happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, 
The J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Have a happy, healthy, safe, and prosperous 2023. Happy New Year to each and every one of you guys and gals, to your families and beyond. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>